the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, July 7th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 254. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Guys, big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Supply chain expert Jim Nels is sitting third chair and co-hosting with us today. We've got a lot of breaking news. Hunter Biden likes the party. We'll find out what happened at the White House. We've got a presidential primary roundup, and Donald Trump speaking in Iowa. We'll peek in on that as well. We've got a great slate of guests. Former assistant U.S. Attorney General Jeff Clark will be joining us for the first time. Lead pollster at Rasmussen, Mark Mitchell, will be here as well. And we'll sit down with the executive director of Case Pack, Brian Live. But before we get to any of our interviews, let's jump right into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back to America's fastest growing political podcast. In studio today, besides the handsome Noah, oh. we got a supply chain expert, economist, and columnist, one of our great friends. Jim Nels is here. Jim, how you doing? Hey, guys. It's great to be here in studio with you. Do you want to tell the rest of the world how crappy of an operation we've got going on here or, or have you been impressed since you were or what you had for breakfast i've been very impressed with breakfast here um it is not just a slogan for steak for breakfast it is how we live it and was brisket for breakfast today but you know. same thing but it was delicious and it, again it's a pleasure to be here with you guys it's been a lot of fun today it's always fun when we've got guests in studio which is rare it's been a while it's back to the garage days we used to have man remember that day we packed nick's house with like a half a dozen hot girls his wife wasn't too happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, so we had two uh, international models and and their friends, their entourage with them, all in the studio at the same time. Yeah, thanks for doing that for me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, you know, as soon as Geisha gets back to the states, she'll be back on. She's one of our favorites. Speaking of parties, Hunter Biden sure knows how to. Apparently, I'm sure everybody knows now. We're going to be calling it Blowgate on the show. There's been cocaine found in the West Wing of the White House. Um, you guys saw the story break. <laughs> Late last week. They're trying to pin it on Kamala, too. Kamala's stepdaughter. <laughs> I tell you what, that would explain the cackling, wouldn't it? Mm. But I, I tell you what, here's the funny thing about that is there's one person in the White House who's a known drug user. I don't think they've investigated him yet. But also, I heard that they found a little note next to the pile of cocaine that says, if found, please return to Hunter. Yeah. So yeah. I tell you guys. It's a CYA. It is. I I would never want Hunter to be the guy that watched my kids, but if I'm doing a guy's weekend in Vegas, I want Hunter and my crew. Think about it. You party like a rock star. You've got a get-out-of-jail-free card. You just don't want him to be the one documenting the weekend on video or with pictures. So you're saying if he was going to be like the person running the bachelor party, it might be good, except for you might get 14-year-old strippers? Mm. There's always that. That's a little gross. The man is a craftsman with Skittles, too, if we could all remember laptop images. Speak, speaking of 14-year-old strippers, sorry to, you know, but I digress. Mm. I saw the movie uh, Sound of Freedom last night. Really good. It's a banger. Really good. You have to see it. I might have cried. I, I cried throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Definitely hits close to home. 
when you talk about uh, some of the reporting we would do on the border, we bring in a lot of the experts here who see the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the children trafficking. Just at our border, this is more of a got an international scope to it, but man, you want to talk about Jim Kazeevil just knocks it out of the park again. I can't wait for, I can't believe they're making a sequel to The Bastion of the Christ. <laughs> it wasn't some fringe DIY movie. It was legitimate. Like, it was cinematic. It was, it was awesome. Like, everything about it was professional. Not that I was expecting anything less, but, you know, like, when you go to see some of this stuff, when sure. it's not a mainstream uh, movie studio publication or whatever you want to call it. You know, like, when you can tell the, the camera quality is just different. Right. Like, it, it, it looks like 3D instead of 4D. Like or, a less than Marvel production. Yeah, exactly. But it, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. It was good. Yeah, we saw that in the new Indiana Jones. Apparently, it's rivaling Indiana Jones. It actually passed Indiana Jones in box office revenue. In yeah. the U.S., it did, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're not missing anything with Indiana Jones. <laughs> you want to see Harrison Ford try to catch his breath. The last one was kind of disappointing and weird. And still try to beat the Nazis for two and a half hours. Then this is your movie. It's Nazis again? It's always Nazis. Yeah, I guess. Hey, you, you know what's the worst? Illinois Nazis. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> mm. It's like Jim fits right in. No, but the thing is, is, is you know, with these movies going on, you have one like The Sound of Freedom come out, and it, it kind of just sends a ripple effect throughout the rest of... It sends a message to Hollywood. You keep having all these remakes and movies that are gender-inclusive, mm. pronoun-laden, coming out and just bombing. You know, $300 million budget, opening weekend of less than $20 million, Like, And then you see this one come out and just... And it's in the minimal amount of theaters that it's pretty much able to be in. You know, I've heard Jim Caviezel on a couple of different interviews, and he said the problem that the movie's running into right now is it's run out of theaters that will allow it to, to air. So, you know, if you, if you have the opportunity to go see it, uh, definitely an experience you want to have in the movie theater as well. Plus, the lights are out so nobody can see you crying, Ugh, yeah. more or less than if you wait for it on streaming services. But And they get you right at the end, too, so you got to walk out with, like, the red eyes, too. <laughs> I hate when something gets in my eye right before the end yeah. of a movie, and you have to try to explain that to people. Well, yeah, and then the, you, the salty popcorn yeah, fingers. Exactly, you just give it a little yeah, exactly. itch, and, man, the butter usually helps but, you blink better. But it's, <laughs> but it's great. The little neighborhood uh, theater where I live in Chicago is showing it, so nice. it's on my list of things to do this week. Well, and then you see the disgusting stuff. Like, there's uh, people are posting uh, side-by-side uh, news articles from The Guardian, and this is from December 2018. When the movie was originally filmed, and it's, a majority of it was. So it's not mentioning that, but it's like, child sex trafficking rife in Colombia's picturesque Cartagena. The historic city is cracking down on an industry that targets children and young women from poor neighborhoods. And then it goes to the now side. Sound of Freedom, the QAnon-adjacent thriller seducing America. Mm. Jem Caviezel stars as a hero trying to stop child traffickers in a paranoid new movie. Paranoid new movie that's fucking disgusting. Turning into a surprise box office hit. In Sound of Freedom, he leads a unit into Colombia and eventually goes rogue on a single-minded quest to locate and liberate the still-missing sister of a boy he managed to save from sex slavery. Like, really? You're going to take away from what he did? Like, it wasn't a good thing? Like, and and in, rea- you. in reality, the real former Department of Homeland Security special agent, yeah, special was, operator, saved over 200 kids in right, the course of his career. based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, a little cinematic additions to it and stuff like that to make the story well, you know, say, work for the film, but it is basically a true story. Yeah, they say this is a dramatization of real-life events. Yeah. 
So, and when, why would you try to minimize or marginalize something like saving kids from the sex slave industry? And QAnon adjacent. Like, fuck off. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole. You really don't want to go down that rabbit <laughs> well, hole. Well, I mean, when we say it to our listenership, they, of course, all know why. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that I hope this movie has continued success. And I hope it's seen on double the amount of screens it's been seen on by the time it has its run. But And they have a really good uh, thing. So, at the end of the movie, there's a QR code you can scan. And he's like... You know, I know it's a little bit weird. You know, you're in a movie theater, but I want you to take out your camera and scan this code. And if you want, you can purchase tickets for pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Per- so I bought I bought a few tickets for whoever the next you know people that don't get to go see movies or can't afford it. Like I felt like it was good to do. You know, like and anything, knock those Indiana Jones numbers down a little further. I tried to explain it to my wife. I sent her multiple trailers. She still wanted, like, the fruity, we're going out on a date drink. And then she left the entire thing because she was upset, sick to her stomach, and crying the entire time. So uh, she really didn't know what she was walking into. It kind of just, like, went over her head. Wait, and so you smuggled a drink in? No, you, you go to McGuffin's at the movie theater. They have the, you know. McWuffin? What? That's at the AMC. They have, you can buy alcohol and bring it into the movie theaters. Oh, wow. Yeah, that just goes AMCs to show how bad movies have been recently, yeah, right? Yeah. Now that they want you to get drunk during the movie? Yeah, they all have bars there now. I mean, so. Most people just bring in. I, I heard somebody opening some tall cans in the back when I was watching. Good for you. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the party at the White House. Oh. And I wasn't talking about the Fourth of July extravaganza that they had there either. Um, so they found cocaine at the White House. It was in a bag. It was in part of the West Wing where you need some sort of security clearance. And for anyone that's ever been to the White House, there are, I think, three security checkpoints and two different versions of detection dogs as well, both bomb-sniffing and narcotic-sniffing dogs. They got drug dogs, too? They certainly do. Huh. So the only people who... I feel like those ones, they probably got the B-team working anytime. Like, look, I don't want to write a memo. Let's just have the dog that doesn't really work very hard when Biden, Hunter Biden's around. That could very well be the case, but someone who is able to get in what is being alleged to have gotten in has to have some kind of VIP status because they're, you know. Well, it's not like it's the Oval Office. The Oval Office where there's no cameras, obviously, because, you know. That's where the real work happens. That's where the weird stuff happens. That's where the diapers get changed. Yeah, but everywhere else, they could literally track down to the minutia of anybody who dropped anything on the ground. Like, they didn't fucking know who it was. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, MSNBC broke the news. MS what? MSDNC broke the news. Nice. Andrew Mitchell, who is a Mar-a-Lago raid and special counsel leak enthusiast, didn't seem too happy with this negative story for the Biden administration. Let's hear it. Kelly, the big change is where this was found. It was found, um, by my observation, in a much more secure place, limited access place, than that West Wing reception area. It's still a publicly trafficked, a frequently trafficked place. No, it's not. It's down near the Situation Room, right off West Executive, down below. And normal people, just average people, just can't get in there, even with the entry from the Northwest Gate. Well, let me let me bring you up to date with the reporting that I have. What we have learned is that there are, in fact, two West Wing entrances. You know that. I know that. But for the benefit of our audience and now the investigation has progressed. And so they're saying the West executive entrance, which, as you noted, is closer to the situation room and closer uh, to uh, 
the Navy mess where there's the facilities for food and so forth. It is uh, also Just next to West mess? Executive Drive. That's where, for example, the vice president's vehicle is parked. So immediately they were trying to pawn it off on somebody else other than the only known addict. Not only has he written a book about it, but the mainstream media has been using it as a narrative for like the last month. The continued targeting of Hunter Biden, even after his sweetheart plea deal, is just trying to obstruct a father's love for his addict son. <laughs> honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. I actually couldn't <laughs> believe when this story broke that it was real. Like all the, the Joe Biden, like like you were seeing if it was like from the. Babylon B or Babylon something B. like that. I almost said the onion. Is the onion The onion, thing the onion or Babylon B? Is yeah. the onion still a thing? It I haven't might be. Seen... Yeah. But when I usually get a lot of notifications from my Twitter account, it's not because anybody's sharing our material. It's usually because Joe Biden fell. <laughs> something <laughs> bad happened in Ukraine or we gave them more money or, or something like this comes up. So when I saw this... Or we forgot up, to give them the money that we were going to give them, but we gave them more anyway. Because we found it. Remember? Yeah. That's how audits work. It was under the coke. Mm. No, that's why they couldn't find it. Long story short, you cannot get into the White House with what they found having regular security clearance access. It's yeah. impossible. Like, do you think you can get into the White House with a bag of unknown substance, a powder? What wasn't that? What, what was the powder that was a big deal back in the day? I think it's huh. called anthrax. Anthrax. That's what it was. Imagine that. Weird. Well, and that's probably why, other than the fact that it was on a baggie with a scorpion on it. <laughs> That's probably the reason why they made such a fuss about it initially. Like uh, when they when they tried to claim that it wasn't found where it was found, but then you play the the actual like uh, the actual audio of the the radio comms mm-hmm. of the the nine one one the nine one one call that went in. Oh yeah, we have a yellow bar at uh, test positive for cocaine. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Well, you know who was first to jump in? I saw Newsmax shortly after the story broke. Steak for Breakfast enjoyer, former secretary of the DNI, Rick Grinnell, wanted to talk all about this as he loves Duncan on the Biden administration. Let's hear him. To put up the video of all of them enjoying the festivities on the fourth there. We see Hunter right there on the patio. Getting a lot out. of play uh, on social the media as well. As, too. You know, we, we're talking Why about cocaine Joe at Biden's the West chest. Wing. We know the president's son is a recovering addict. What's playing out here? What, what do you think is really behind this? Well, true to form in Washington, D.C., is the death of common sense. When you find cocaine at the White House (laughs) and the uh, son of the president is got probably 100 pictures of cocaine and meth use, uh, you would think that uh, if you were using common sense that you would go ask him and say, is this yours? It was in a, a private place. It's very difficult to bring uh, cocaine or drugs <laughs> or any type of illegal substances into the White House because you're searched. I would go so far, Bianca, as to say that uh, the cocaine has to be either from a Biden family member or a cabinet secretary. Those are the only people that are not searched uh, completely. And so the cabinet officials should all be asked. Was the cocaine yours? When did you last visit? And the family members should be asked because this problem can easily be solved. There are cameras everywhere. Uh, It's absolutely ridiculous. And the death of common sense to somehow say that we can't figure out who brought cocaine into the White House. Yeah. Yeah. Two plus two is always four, except 
Well, that's racist now, but whatever. I tell you what, the other two people they should look at, Kirby and Corinne Jean-Pierre, because if I had to get up on that podium and lie every single day of my mm. life, I'd want to be coked out of my mind. Well, you know KJP likes to party. She got a deuce. She yeah. does like to party. She likes to play bumper cars as well. <laughs> Listen. So it'll buff out. We could talk about this and hypothesize about how it got there and who it belongs to all day long. Here's the fact of the matter. Every single person that has access to the White House on a regular basis, including family members at some point, are screened. They have biometric information on everybody, including fingerprints. You're telling me this bag of yay was found inside one of the most secure areas in the entire United States of America. Without a convenient thumbprint on it. Exactly. Did you just blame Kanye for that? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. I just don't understand why people want to kind of blow this up into like, oh, you know, that too. The Secret Service says they may never find the culprit, as was reported on the New York Post the other day. Yeah, because they deleted the the log, they deleted the video, they probably deleted the bag of cocaine. They probably deleted the fingerprints as well. Mm -hmm. And and it's also been reported now that... They they cut off Hunter's fingers? Clear your throat, Noah, because you're going to want to scream it. Mm. New Joe Biden chief of staff, Jeff Zients. Zients! Has been running a behind-the-scenes campaign to eliminate people of interest, including Hunter Biden, which the Secret Service announced was one of the people who was in that area throughout the course of the 4th of July weekend. Definitely not what you want to have going on inside of the residence of the resident. Well, it's just weird that they didn't mention the actual Coke line spelling Hunter on the glass table. (laughs) Dropping an avalanche in the West Wing. Hmm. Wherever you guys are listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google, or iHeart, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Give it a five-star review. If it's on Apple, rate it. In addition, social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Follow and hit the notification bell. Then anytime something's coming out pertinent to the show, including a lot of the new content we're putting out on places like Instagram, it'll be delivered directly to you. So Noah's been uh, listening to a lot of Tim Pool lately for yep. a multitude of reasons. He's coming over to our side day by day a little bit more. In addition, with the summer months, us and, and very few other podcasts are putting out content on, on a nearly everyday basis like he is. But as you could probably hypothesize, when this news broke the next day, they were going to kind of get into it and, and try to narrow down the list of suspects. Let's hear it. <laughs> have surveillance all over that building. Mm-hmm. The idea that they do, do not is insane. We know they do. We have, they have men on the roof. When you, when, you, when, you, when you go and visit the White House, you can see there's guys up there. Okay? They're watching rifles. And they're armed. And they've got sniper rifles. Yeah, that's what they I said. Do. So if you're going to try and con- tell me they don't have surveillance in that building, that is untrue. So I'm going to say this. That suggests they know who did it, are covering it up. Therefore, it was Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True I, I, story. I mean, I mean to say this. I, I, let's, let's clarify. I'm not saying I really believe it was Hunter. I don't know. I'm just saying... I do. Until they actually come out and say whose it was, I am just going to say it was Hunter because, you know, uh, Occam's razor. Well, you got a you got a you got a, a crack addict, drug addict guy with access to the White House to the degree he will not be stopped by security. They know who he is, the president's son. As probably his. Reports are coming out now that because of all the disinformation that Jeff Science is running behind the scenes, the Secret Service are internally leaking to the media that people within the White House and Joe Biden's immediate orbit are making them look incompetent. Yeah. 
and, and that this whole thing is just a bad deal for them. So well, and the other thing is, I think actually on the Tim Pool clip you're about you were playing, I think they were about to mention that it could very well have been actual crack because I'm not an expert, but I would assume that crack and crack cocaine probably would register the same on whatever narco test kit that they were using. Hmm. So would, it could just be crack rocks. I wouldn't know anything about that either. Jim, what do you think? You seem to be an expert in partying. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, I just think it's funny that it's being reported that allies of the administration are calling the flurry of um, media <laughs> a attention flurry? to this a flurry. Not a furry, but a flurry well, as silly. political you know? BS. Because apparently cocaine wasn't found there. Um, and the liberals have decided that even if it was, it's okay. It's cocaine. Why not? But it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And like the like Tim Poole said, there's only one known drug addict who lives in the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that we're even talking about cocaine in the White House, how insane is that? Think about that for a second. There you go. <laughs> Let's have a moment of silence for Hunter Biden's lost bag of yayo. Listen, I'm going to... Do you gonna... think he'll write that off on his taxes this time? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, he did. We, we pointed out on the show just recently that he wrote off... Uh, an escort agency, so essentially prostitutes as a business expense. That's not easy to do with someone who has his own company. It's not easy to do that. Hey, oh, you just have to line item it correctly. You, you, you need a really good accountant. Massages. Well, we're talking about Hunter Biden here. <laughs> so that's the accountant for the big guy. Yeah. I'm going to take us out on a little bit of a comedic note, even though this entire piece <laughs> to open the show on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast has made me laugh. We've all mentioned her in some context already in the show. White House Press Secretary. Oof. Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about this, and you can only expect... Listen, before I get into her clip, they just ended the White House presser uh, here on Friday, and for the second week in a row, one of the reporters from the press pool asked Admiral John Kirby, who came in out of the bullpen for Karine Jean-Pierre, about Joe Biden's corruption, and read a couple lines, headlines throughout the week that basically... Listen, we're staying in the same thread here for the entire segment. (laughs) We're blowing right through it. (laughs) And for the second week in a row, when John Kirby was asked the questions, he folded his binder and him and Karine Jean-Pierre left. She didn't do the same act yesterday when she was asked about this. When are they going to give him smoke bombs? I want smoke bomb. Let's hear. The president has been briefed on the cocaine that was found at the White House. Is the <laughs> White Joe House Biden conducting briefed? its own in- internal investigation? This is something that's under the purview of the Secret Service. They're the ones who handle this investigation, so it lives uh, in in um, in their purview, in their world. Mm. And then just a quick follow-up on this, this type of tour. Can you explain to the American people who would have access to the West Wing on this type of tour and what kind of protocols are in place? So, look, when it comes to uh, security protocol, that's something that the Secret Service certainly is going to handle, and Same so purview. that is... Again. question for them uh, when it that comes word to of the week by the way when it comes to visitors to the west wing uh, they historic. come for many reasons uh, obviously we She's do have uh, west wing tours that, that occur here uh, on campus uh, they happen in this you particular past like uh, couple Bob? of days they happen on yes. friday they happen on saturday uh, and sunday the times that they do not happen is when there's a federal holiday like yesterday there was not uh, a west wing tour uh, and also when there's a well, white there a a large white house uh, event so i don't have anything more to share uh, on uh, on the particulars again when it comes to security when it comes to anything of those types of protocols that and is purviews. something that Secret Service handles you are a nasty person <laughs> so yes ongoing scandal grips the Biden administration now, again. I mean that was one of the first times she's ever made a comment that didn't involve saying something was historic and transparent transparent mm. well the bag was transparent fuck <laughs> <laughs> 
There you go. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't the uh, reporter for CBS who happens to be an African-American woman, how dare me, mm. she probably just would have blew her off. <laughs> Listen, we'll, we'll keep tracking this. We kind of all know what the there there is. It's it's actually silly that the mainstream media and, and you know, the Secret Service and, and Biden want to kind of, like, play around. This could be this could be a heartfelt piece right now. Hunter is stumbling throughout the course of all these legal charges that are hanging over his head, and now it's time yeah, to help him. Knocked him back into relapse. Re, re, yeah, recover again. But uh, we're going to be sitting down with former Assistant U.S. Attorney General Jeffrey Clark for the first time. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's the Director of Litigation at the Center for Renewing America and former Assistant U.S. Attorney General. Joining us for the first time, Jeff Clark, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm uh, anxious to be here. I know you've had one of my colleagues on recently, so glad to join you as well. We have become the uh, landing pad for many who have served in the Trump administration. We take a lot of pride in that as America First, most America First show. So great sitting down with you for the first time here today. I do want to jump right into it. One of the biggest things, I know it's probably something that you're super focused on, the country's focused on it. It's not really in the news cycle as much as it should be, in my opinion. It's the Missouri v. Biden ruling that came out on the 4th of July. What are you seeing from, you know, this historic lawsuit and what possibly could be the fallout from the ruling and now the appeal that the Biden administration has uh, filed recently? Sure. Well, look, I think that uh, the judge uh, has ruled correctly in that case. You know, we're dealing with a situation where the First Amendment is being blatantly violated by the government, you know, partnering with or outsourcing its censorship to big tech. And you know, they purport that, well, they're just uh, making suggestions and the fact that it's carried through on by the uh, the big tech folks means that there's no actual uh, violation of the law because big tech is in the government and only the government can violate the First Amendment. But I'm not buying anything uh, about that. They've gotten discovery that's shown how dirty the, all these operations are involving the Justice Department, the FBI, uh, DHS and the like. And that, you know, just the hashtag Twitter files revelations, you know, uh, showed us that that was already true. So the Biden administration, not surprisingly, has appealed. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm confident that, you know, our side will win on that appeal. And I don't think the Supreme Court's going to tolerate this kind of, uh, you know, public-private partnership to censor the American people and violate the First Amendment. Hey, Jeff, one of the the um, issues that the judge put into the his ruling is that in cases of national uh, emergency or national priorities that they can still do this. Um, do you think that we're going to see abuse of that and that's going to have to be challenged again in court? 
you know, it reminds me of the issue, you know, from the Supreme Court last week in terms of the big affirmative action ruling that, uh, you know, said that Harvard can't discriminate on the private side under Title VI and uh, the University of North Carolina can't discriminate on the public university side uh, on, a, on a racial basis to try to keep balance, you know, so-called at the, at the universities. There's wiggle room in that decision. And I think, you know, the, the big universities who are part of kind of the racialist apparatus will probably try to morph their programs and, and get around it. Whenever you have uh, any uh, new pronouncement of law, you have attempts by those who are unscrupulous to circumvent it. And I think that we'll probably see attempts to try to circumvent uh, this, you know, uh, uh, preliminary injunction, temporary injunction, when it uh, hopefully eventually becomes fully permanent. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll try to find more devious ways to kind of take it subterranean and try to keep doing the same things. And, you know, at some level, right, it's, it's easier to stop kind of version 1.0 of government private censorship than it will be to stop versions 2.0, 3.0, et cetera. Oh, that's a good point you make there. And then when you look at some of the, uh, well, all the agencies that were outlined in the judge's ruling, the Department of Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, uh, the NAAID, the Center for Disease Control, the Census Bureau, FBI, DOJ, of course, the Cybersecurity Agency, the Department of State, and even the Office of the President of the United States. Combine that, Jeff, with, you had mentioned the Twitter files. Now, armchair quarterbacking, we all kind of have been conditioned to accept, like, okay, this levels of government interference in elections and health emergencies and things of that nature. We knew it was going on, but now is it still surprising to you to see the extent where like people could just freely message people at Twitter and be like, Hey, I need this account ban. Hey, I need this article censored. Hey, we need to shadow ban uh, this influencer or commentator or politician even, uh, even to this day. Yeah, it's, it's completely shocking, right? I mean, you know, it makes my, a uh, few remaining hairs on my head stand up. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just, what's what's most shocking about it is not that there were people unscrupulous enough to try it, but that the apparatuses at the uh, big tech companies were so willing to go along with it, right? That they, they turn into kind of bowing and scraping of like, yes, master, you know, uh, we, we've taken that down rapidly. You know, we're going to be engaging in future proactive efforts to make sure that you don't see tweets like this again, you know, think messages that have the flavor of that, uh, as opposed to, you know, people who should have gotten, you know, at least some exposure to being citizens of the United States, even if they're not uh, learning civics as, you know, my parents did uh, in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, the, you know, to, to rebel and say like, no, this isn't America. Like we're, we're a private company. We're not going to just start censoring people because you at the FBI think it's a good idea. And, you know, I, I, even just people who have also basic skepticism at the level of, I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys are probably in the same camp, right? When all the COVID bans started and they started to have these completely wacky, arbitrary rules, like, all right, well now you can come into the restaurant uh, but you got to wear a mask until you get your to your table and then you can eat without the mask. But then when you go to the bathroom, you have to put the mask back on like an average person who has a modicum of sense is like this makes this is totally irrational. It can't possibly be preventing disease. It sounds like it's a giant Simon Says game, right, of, you know, put the mask on, take the mask off, do what your 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 government masters have commanded you. And so, you know, also if they're being uh told to censor in the name of the medical tyranny, 
that there weren't people with enough common sense at these companies to say, you know, look, this is totally contestable. Why don't we want to have a free and open debate about that, you know, in order to protect the liberties of the American people? So it shows you that among a lot of these young engineers and the like, there's a lot of cultural rot that's set in and they're just inclined to salute and, you know, do what they're told. How much of it do you think that perhaps the government behind the scenes was saying, hey, if you don't play along with this, we're going to take away your special protection and then you're going to be open to lawsuits in the future? You know, I think there's probably uh, some suggestion of that. But if you're a gigantic uh, corporation with a lot of capital and a lot of lawyers to throw at problems like, you know, Facebook and YouTube and uh, Google and and Twitter before Musk, et cetera, and even Twitter ask after Musk, right? Uh, you know, you, you don't uh, bow easily to those kinds of threats. And, you know, certainly when I started as a as a big law firm associate in uh, 1996, you know, there were still companies in America that when big government mandates came down, you know, that they'd be on the phone with me or they'd be on the phone with, you know, someone more senior at the law firm of like, what what is this stuff? Like, make this go away. This is not uh, this. This doesn't make any sense. It's, you know, just an attempt to manipulate the market, you know, to favor some noisy pressure group. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not right and it doesn't fit with the statute. And please, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pay you to, to take it down. Right. That's that the big tech folks easily could have done that, particularly because, you know, there are lots of judges across the whole ideological spectrum who find anything that restricts First Amendment freedoms to be repugnant to the republic. No, I mean, that's it right there. You, you kind of look at the way that the, you know, curtain's been pulled back and you see all of these agencies and, and it's not just the heads of agencies talking to like, so let's say, for instance, the CEOs, the Elon Musk, the Mark Zuckerbergs. These are just regular staffers who are interacting with federal law enforcement and other agencies of the federal government. Uh, you know, they call it weaponization for a reason. And, and we really saw it not only during the pandemic, but of course, during the 2020 presidential election cycle. We're already, you know, starting to see. Uh, it kind of being revived a little bit ahead of the upcoming presidential election cycle, which is kind of where I want to segue to next. Talk about President Trump a little bit. I know you shared the article on your Twitter feed, so I, I want to bring it up because I was actually watching it last night and was probably equally as appalled as you were. Uh, NBC was running a panel yesterday, and they were talking about some new revelations coming out of the special counsel, which, of course, is getting leaked to places like MSNBC and the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, etc. But Andrea Mitchell said you know, throughout the course of the panel discussion that the search warrant has revealed a trove of new evidence for us. That's the MSNBC <laughs> host talking about leaks to that they're getting regarding the special counsel that's working a case against former President Trump right now as he's the number one candidate in the GOP primary for 2024. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. When you see stuff like that, Jeff, and just that's like a, a microcosm of how bad. I mean, you have everybody from, you know, Jen Psaki and and. Joy Reid just lying to everybody every night, but then you see all these, you know, covering for Joe and Hunter Biden and all the other agencies, like the, the crisis at the southern border has been completely erased from the news cycle. But when they start saying the quiet part out loud like that and, and boasting and gloating ahead of uh, a major case against President Trump, you know, the fallout from the Mar-a-Lago raid, as, as someone who, who has worked in law for so long, such as yourself, and, and you know, obtained the highest offices in the federal government working said law, how ridiculous is this, you know, to, to have to kind of deal with as President Trump continues to, like, rise in the election cycle right now? 
Well, it's super ridiculous, and it shows they're you know they're so brazen, they're so confident at this point that they they there are no repercussions for this. That you know they they're just dropping the masks, right? They're they're you know admitting openly what we've always known, which is that of course Andrea Mitchell wants Democrats to win and Republicans to lose, right? And if there are fights among Republicans, she wants the most liberal Republican to win the fight over the more conservative Republican. And so you know the the admission though of there's an us versus them, like we've you know there there have been uh, uh, you know a release of a less redacted version of the affidavit. That was used to do the raid in August of last year on Mar-a-Lago, and, and and she says, you know, like, well, this is a treasure trove of new information for us, right? Well, you know, but what is the us? The us is uh, the kind of media Democrat Party, uh, you know, uh, conjoint apparatus that is, you know, trying to take President Trump out, and you know, the the sadly, the public's become so polarized, right, that. They're in their surveys now being done about this, where you know people who watch MSNBC and uh, NBC and CNN, they don't even know about half the scandals that are going on with the Biden administration sure. because they're not told about it, mm-hmm. right? So they only see it if they pop up, pop it up on social media, or they uh, you know come across a work colleague or something who mentions it. Um, you know, they they're not seeing a steady diet of it. The only thing they see a steady diet of is you know, thou shalt destroy President Trump, right? Or to use some of my old Latin training from Catholic high school, right? The, the, uh, uh, there was the a Roman statesman who would end all of his speeches with, you know, therefore Carthage must be destroyed, right? Carthago delenda est. It's like Trumpo delenda est. And that, that is the, you know, the watchword of, or the watchphrase of the uh, MSNBCs of the world. Well, somebody's going to put that on a t-shirt now. <laughs> hey, we, we don't do T-shirts on this show. No, not us. Now, Jeff, you did mention those scandals that get you know washed under the rugs. There are the major ones, like investigations that weren't done for things like the Nord Stream pipeline. There's you know the recent disposition that's come out with Hunter Biden's plea deal. Now we have we're calling it Blowgate here on the show. The bag of cocaine that was found in the West Wing of the White House, and even like the you know more recently uh, in the, just over the last year, Karine Jean Pierre got uh, you know driving under the influence. She got into a car accident. It's never been on the news once. You know, a couple people have touched on it, but never really have went there. So it's definitely a double standard. And and I think the, the big question here I want to ask you is, as someone who knows the ins and outs of the, of the legal system, uh, to your ability, what is Donald Trump preparing for right now as he's getting ready to uh, find out what's going to happen in the special counsel led by Jack Smith? What's he preparing for in terms of... Uh January 2025, if he's reelected, or what is he preparing for in terms of his defense? We like to say when he's reelected, but what do you <laughs> think the angle is that Jack Smith's taking here? Do you think that they are going to try and do seditious conspiracy against President Trump and try to tie that around his neck the same way they did with, you know, more recently there was a ruling on the leader of the Oath Keepers. He didn't even enter the Capitol that day, but they were able to give him a nearly 20 year prison sentence uh, for whatever happened on January 6th. Not saying that that's comparable right. to Donald Trump, but when you just look at the proximity of just two people and the buildings, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, Adam Schiff was on uh, MSNBC, The Last Word, last night, and he said Donald Trump is physically, morally, ethically, you name itly responsible for the events that happened <laughs> on January 6th, and you know he's a, a speaker box for the Department of Justice and the mm-hmm. FBI. So that's kind of the angle we think he's going on. What about you? So, look, I, I, I don't know for sure what the plan is, right, whether at this point it's a kind of massive uh, – 
Jack Smith to the Democrat media uh, partnership operation to put pressure on uh, various people so that they can gather information that they don't have because they're so uh, much of the view that they believe their own narrative that that President Trump is, you know, some grave danger to the republic because of January 6th. That you know they 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 don't think they have the goods now, but they're posturing that they that they have the goods, and then constantly mentioning particular people's names so that they can try to create like a you know a run on the bank to come in and talk to them before you know they they say they're really going to drop the hammer on President Trump and whatever group of other names they decide to to lay in, and you know it's I think one indication of that is that. There are so many things simultaneously that there seems to be leaks about. Like one day, it's so-called fake electors, and they're not—they're not fake electors, right? No one was fooled by them. Uh, you know, it's not like committing a fraud by passing off like a, a counterfeit bill or something. Right. You know, these are—you know—it was widely reported, right? What the officially certified, uh, uh, you know, December 2020 votes were for the electoral college. You know, is certified by the governor or some other uh, executive authority. They go into a central government uh, repository and they're kept very safe until they were transmitted to Congress on January sixth. So, uh, you know, the, the I think that the narrative of fake electors is itself like a giant misnomer. But some days it's the fake electors. Other times it's President Trump raised money saying that the election was stolen from me, but he didn't spend the money on that topic. So that's some kind of campaign finance fraud. Um, you know, other times it's, uh, uh, you know, an attempt to intimidate people in the states, uh, you know, who are in state government or in state legislatures. It's just it's a revolving set of theories with a revolving set of names that I think they're trying to pressure. And, you know, it could be that they're going to do all of those at the same time. It could be that they have multiple cases like they do an elector's case and they do uh, a pressure on the state's case, um, you know, or, or they decide to leave some of them like off to the side. I, I just don't know. But I, one thing I do know is I, I look at the political calendar and it doesn't look like there's a lot of time. So I don't I don't think we're going to need to wait for much longer to see whether they're actually going to bring other cases against President Trump uh, from the Jack Smith special counsel operation. I'm kind of in agreement with you there. It's kind of testing the waters and then conditioning the politically uneducated, the casual followers of politics. You know, they used to do the same thing with January 6th. You couldn't go on NBC or any of the cable news channels, CBS, on, on the Sunday morning news circuit and not have them talk about January 6th without a tight-knit video feed of people pushing on police officers to kind of condition people that's the way it was. Now they talk about this Georgia stuff, and you know, they like you said, they use catchphrases like "fake electors" and and all these other things. And, and when you're talking about the uh, classified documents and the materials there, the indictment states that there's 35 things that they want to look at for a total of 106 pages, pieces of paper. But then every time they talk about it, they show file footage of rooms full of boxes. And if people aren't listening and they see it and they hear Donald Trump document scandal, that conditions them to think that he had like half of Mar-a-Lago filled up with boxes of classified material, which we all know isn't the case. So we just got to keep fighting. You're doing it on the legal side. We're doing it on the podcast side here. But it has been great sitting down with you today, uh, Jeff, and we would love to have you back at some point in the future. We're going to live link the Center for Renewing America in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Sure. Well, yeah, definitely follow me on social media. I'm at Jeff Clark US on Twitter and Getter and on Real Jeff Clark on Truth Social. 
So we'll be tagging you on social media when the episode comes out later today. This is the Director of Litigation at the Center for Renewing America and the former Assistant U.S. Attorney General. Mr. Jeffrey Clark, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks a lot, guys. So one of the, one of the questions that I've had throughout this classified documents case is why. Why did he do this? And I've asked a lot of people who know Donald Trump well why they think it is. Um, you obviously know Donald Trump well. Here is a couple. Here are a couple theories I asked of former Secretary of Defense under Trump, Mark Esper. I want to get your reaction sure. after this. I've heard two different theories as to why he had these documents. One uh, from Stephanie Grisham, who said um, he just likes, you know, these are mine, and he's like a child with a toy. And one from Michael Cohen, he said he thought that Trump had these documents because he wanted to use them to further his own power or financial well-being in some way. Why do you think he held on to these documents and went to such lengths uh, to stop them, to prevent them from being turned over to the government? Yeah, look, I think both theories could be true and, and likely are true to some extent. I have to admit, I was kind of surprised that Esper said that uh, because the idea that he would use these secrets to further his own power or financial well-being yeah. is, a, is a shocking thing for him to think. What do you think? I think it was purely ego. Um, I, I think, Jake, he could not and still cannot to this day deal with the fact that he's the only person outside the state of Delaware to ever lose to Joe Biden. And he wants to pretend he's still president. He takes these boxes with him. like He flies them up. They're in New Jersey now, if he still had them. Mm -hmm. They'd be in New Jersey because they go on summer vacation with him. I mean, he wanted to continue to pretend he was president and show these things to people and say, look what I still have. Look what I still know. Oh, so it's all part of the kabuki about people telling him, oh, you're still president. You actually won that whole yes, thing. Yes, absolutely. I think that's it. And, and I will tell you that I've seen him with, it's not the first time also with boxes of documents. In 2016, when I was campaigning with him, his body guy at the time, Keith Schiller, would have a box, a banker's box of documents that would go everywhere with him when he was campaigning. Box Whenever case. he got on the plane, he would put that box of documents right next to Donald Trump on the plane. He would open them. Now, those documents from Trump were from Trump Tower mm. and were business-related and also newspaper articles, whatever. And he, he wanted that box next to him immediately before we took off. So the, the, they're talking about the beautiful mind documents right. uh, that the, the staff is talking about. That he was obsessed about it. There's an element to that as well, and I saw it. Well, that was Roy Rogers' enthusiast, Chris Christie, and we're going to play a little presidential primary roundup. Jim Nels is still here in studio with us. Jim? Hello. Holding it together? Trying to. Not bad, right? No, no. This has been fantastic, guys. Thank you very much. It's absolutely our pleasure to host you today. We're Anytime. Gonna, you're probably going to want to rip the skin off your face by the time we're done with this one because Oof. not too much from Donald Trump today. We are going to try to poke in and uh, see what's going on down in Iowa back end of the show. But as for right now, we're going to go through some of the contenders and a lot of the pretenders regarding the presidential primary, both sides of the aisle. Noah's favorite uh. ad-lib poet. <laughs> One of the best speakers in the history of vice presidential politics. Kamala Harris is out on the trail, mm. hyping up Bidenomics and her re-election campaign as well. She kind of, uh, well, mesmerized the crowd in only the way she could. I can't really explain it otherwise, so let's hear it. Well, I think culture is, it, it is a reflection of our moment and our time. And mm. of our culture. And, and, and. Present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. Culturally. Mm. And 
and we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment that is a reflection of joy because, you know, it comes in the morning. <laughs> yeah, not her coat. We have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of just having language and, and, and a connection to how people are experiencing life. And I think about it in that way, too. Now, Noah, you're a huge fan of her... Fuck uh, you. I hate you. <laughs> her public speaking. <laughs> what do you take away from that? Oh, uh, well... Let's, we, we need to have a new game. What is she actually talking about? She's, she's never talking about anything. Literally. I hate to say it over and over again, but it's the, I'm doing a book report, <laughs> but I didn't read the book. And I know these words are in the title. And then maybe on the little blurb on the back. That was a hell of a cackle she let out mid sentence. Well, as that's when well. that's all you got. That's your go-to. It's like a nervous, it's like a nervous cackle. It's like her tick. I believe, though, the question she was answering was, "Why should America vote for Joe Biden?" <laughs> well, we all know uh, space is the thing that brings us together, <laughs> and school buses are yellow. Only if you put them on a Venn diagram. Oh gosh! Then. They are yellow. I forgot it. She's a Venn diagram enthusiast as well. She loves Venn diagrams. And she likes electric school buses because you don't smell gasoline while you're putting gas into them. Like, <laughs> It's kind of silly addition to the show today, huh? Really? No, we're going to get serious. Okay. Speaking of which, we Vagina. got... <laughs> Stop it. We got to talk about contenders on the other side of the aisle and the rising stock of Democrat challenger to Joe Biden, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. He's... Gotten well past double digits now in some polls, getting all the way up to 20%, even though he's never going to see a debate stage uh, opposite of Joe Biden. Or God, I would pay. Like, that's another, make it a pay-per-view. Cure, cure world hunger again. Well, I mean. Or, or cure. Get rid U of the national debt. Or cure Ukraine, finally. Mm. Well, didn't you hear that? Oh, you guys maybe didn't hear. They're getting cluster bombs now from us. Oh, good. That, that should definitely get both sides to the negotiation yeah. What table could go wrong? In an expedient manner. No, so. I, I saw something where Zelensky said that there will be no peace talks until they agree to go back to, what, the 1991 or 1993 borders? Mm -hmm. That's impossible. Yep. Impossible. Like, not even in a perfect world would that even be on the fucking menu. Russia has forever military installations in Crimea now. Yes. So, and, you know, the Chinese are already measuring the drapes to rebuild Donbass. We're going to have Colonel McGregor on the show next week. We'll get an update from him. It's pretty funny. A lot of people came out the first couple of times we had him on, and we scooped him up right after his first appearance on Tucker. He's been you know, a recurring guest for about six months now. He's provided a lot of information that people have seen weeks later unfold on TV. But, uh, but there were some out there who were detractors and said, you know, he just hears from international consultants and looks on Telegram channels for information and then regurgitates them. In the last couple of weeks, he's been on every single major podcast wait they're saying this about mcgregor yeah yeah he doesn't go on telegram it's just the haters there's no way but the, but the thing is you know i keep seeing him go on all of these shows appear on more and more news programs and and the thing is is that he's dialed in so listen people are going to get the numbers inaccurate sometimes because places like a constant war zone and the meat grinder that it is it's just the nature of the business but here's the thing you don't think at this point, we're getting all fucking screwed around with this whole bullshit that's going on on the Ukraine-Russian border. When they had that whole bullshit psyop with the Wagner group not too long ago, right? 
the thing was on TV for 24 hours straight. Videos from everything from, you know, the, the leader of Wagner's headquarters all the way to Vladimir Putin's speaking events and, and everything in between. Helicopters getting shot down, tanks driving on the... We don't see shit out of Ukraine. We see bombed out buildings and uh, really bad pictures of Ukrainian soldiers doing what they do, which is yeah. die. I heard there ain't even any Patriot missile batteries left in Ukraine at this point. I mean, I saw some, uh, I wish I knew the exact. Do you think Ukraine would send back the receipt and be like, these are broken? Could we have our money back? They probably could send the parts back in a box. Yeah. I just want to know. It's where, like Amazon. Where does Zelensky get all those green shirts? Well, well now, now. Under Armour now. Under yeah, Armour now. Now he's got like a fucking sponsorship. It's just such a joke. And uh, what's serious is, is the campaign that RFK Jr. is running, um, both nationally and when he goes into opposition territory there, it seems like because of the way the media circles the wagons for Joe Biden and the absolute dumpster fire that his life is and, and his reelection campaign is going to be, RFK is subject to go on a lot of, you know, he's been on Fox, he, he sat down with Tucker, Tucker's done a Tucker on Twitter about him, um, you know, and, and yesterday he was on with Eric Boulding, and, and one of the things a lot of people kind of want to talk to him about is his not only relationship with Donald Trump, but where he wants to go from here. After watching RFK Jr. go through the early parts of this primary, I really feel like he's kind of getting his feet wet and starting to develop like a national network that's going to help him run a more successful campaign in four years if he chooses to run. The field's going to be a lot more broad. You're going to have people like Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer and all those senators like Pocahontas and, you know, Amy Klobuchar getting in there that, that you know, want to win the race again. And, and he's going out there and meeting people and shaking hands and, and going in opposition territory on places like Newsmax yesterday and, and talking about questions, you know, what happens after the primary or even in, in, you know, with the general election. Let's hear it. Serve as a vice president, let's say, to Donald Trump. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Would you serve as vice president to Joe Biden? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Okay, very good. Um, would you vote for either one of them? Uh, my plan right now is to win the election. And I it's as simple as that. Yeah. And uh, that's a good answer. That's kind of the same answer that Vivek is giving right now uh, when he's going around doing spaces and interviews and stuff when they want to kind of not talk about the campaign platform or, or you know, uh, policy-driven points and, and want to kind of make it about Joe Biden and Donald Trump only. Uh, and and it's, it's good to hear them say that. I don't think RFK goes into that whole third-ticket deal either. I think we're going to have enough independence, both from the libertarian and the general independent section, to uh, kind of pull away from everyone's votes at the end of the day. So yeah. I, re I really do think he's this is like a test run for him. Yeah, the libertarians will still get their 1% of the yeah. votes. Brewing elections like they always do. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's good to see him kind of ending the debate on things that a lot of people from, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson to Steve Bannon have kind of just thrown out there to their listenerships and audiences. Guys, I want to remind everyone where you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed to the program. Rate it five stars. Leave a review. Also across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Hit the notification bell, and you'll get all the great information that we're always cranking out delivered directly to you. So I kind of think that Vivek and, and RFK Jr. are running parallel campaigns on different sides of the aisles. Both have been upfront and honest about a lot of the things that are wrong with this country. Both have seen a grassroots-ish type popularity uh, in, in talking about these things. But I don't think that either one of them has 
the it factor to pull away from the major candidates like Donald Trump and, and unfortunately Joe Biden. I, I saw some people that were thinking about whether or not it would be possible for like Vivek, for instance, to be a VP pick. Mm-hmm. I could just see, I could see Trump come out and I'm going to have Vivek, Vivek, Ramashwarma. He's going to be my vote vice president. You know, I know Donald Trump, because of just the way he is, loves like the looks and the aesthetics of things. It just doesn't fit on those little <laughs> Trump pants, you yeah. know? I'm still Trump gnome. That's where I'm at right now. I, you know, I've noticed He'd that- have to make like uh, berets. <laughs> True story. <laughs> but, but Christy Gnome is doing a lot of media. She's put out, I don't know if you guys still watch the cable news as much as I do. I have to for the show. But even on MSNBC and CNN, of course, on Fox News and, and Newsmax, She's put out a lot of commercials about the successes that she's had, uh, you know, being the governor of her state. And I, I think she's always been someone that was, well, she was vetted early. And I think that's somebody that has really high favorability with Donald Trump. We're going to hear from her in just a minute. But let's get into Vivek. He's talking about the issues and the ones that are important. He's trying to run to the right on some of the issues uh, that Donald Trump currently has. And what we want to do here is hear him talk about stuff that's going on at the U.S. border. If you don't understand what I mean when saying to the to the right of Donald Trump, let's listen. Flux of migrants across that southern border, 14,000 plus per day by some estimates crossing that southern border. That is not the rule of law. That is the abandonment of the rule of law. So if migrants are coming illegally, intentionally to be able to establish an illegal toehold in the United States, then I think that that's something that we should not abide in this country. And we should say that we should say also, I mean, you were your both of your parents are immigrants to the United States. So you would have been a beneficiary of birthright citizenship. But you now are saying you would ban that for people coming into the country. And what is the period of time for which that would be the case for people coming into the country illegally? That's the key distinction. And people make this mistake all the time. And I think you got to be really careful when you talk about the difference between legal immigrants and illegal immigrants. Here's where he gets One is it. founded on following the rule of law. The other is founded on breaking the rule of law. That might be and the case, but I'm just saying that border security and immigration are not the same issue. What I'm saying is that birthright citizenship, as it is currently in law, does not make that distinction between yeah. whether that person was born to someone legally or not. So you are saying that even though... Birthright citizenship for you was something that was in play. You would take it off the table now. And my question is also, how long would that be the case? And also, how would you do it? Would you go to Congress for a constitutional amendment? Well, actually, I've supported the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. I'll actually go one step further on this, Abby. Is that goes to the right. I don't think someone, just because they're born in this country, even if they're a sixth-generation American, should automatically enjoy all the privileges of citizenship until they've actually earned it. Mm. So one of the things I've said is that every high school student who graduates from high school should have to pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass in order to become a citizen of this country. I believe that there are civic duties attached to citizenship, so much so that I don't think you should automatically get your right to vote at age 18 unless you have passed that same citizenship test that immigrants have had to pass right. or else have served the country. Uh, under, so under- and that was, a, that was a, on a panel discussion he was having with a, with a reporter from CNN. So again, into enemy territory for yeah. Vivek and, and 
running to the right of Donald Trump where he says he's going to end illegal immigrant, you know, just coming over here and having anchor babies. He's going to say, like, you know, if you're a, a child generations later of, of immigrants who came here and got their citizenship, you're still going to have to pass a civics test to once you become an adult, be recognized as a American citizen. Yeah, be, be able to integrate into society, maybe speak the language, be able to pass that test. But when people are abusing the whole system, like, all right, well, for instance, all these people coming in right now, it's like they know they're going to come in, mm -hmm. they're going to get a court date in like five years. And they're going to get busy. And they're going to get busy. So I've actually got to spend time with Vivek. I did a podcast with him and talked to his campaign about supply chain issues and things like that. The guy is wicked smart. Yeah. Super wicked smart. Um, I love what he's saying about anchor babies. I, I think that's a really smart thing. I'm not so up there with them on the 18 year olds not being able to vote uh i'd put my son's intelligence against about 90 percent of the 50 year olds who are out there voting yeah what i would love to see is everyone in america have to pass a current events test in order to vote because if you can't name two supreme court justices or you don't know who the vice president is should you really be casting a vote and having that vote count i love those youtube videos where somebody goes out and they ask like all these real basic like banal questions about just the things that everybody should know, like I can't even think of one right now, but it's who's the vice president? Yeah, like who, who's the yeah, exactly? I don't want to take yours. I took your answer. It's like Kamala. No, Harris. that was my question. Kamala Harris doing a book report. Mm. No, but it's amazing, and and the best part, like the ones that I watch, like the guy will be like, "Oh, who is the blah blah blah, the vice president?" And they're like, "George Washington." Yeah. Yes, and they just he just says yes to everything. Amazing. Well, as we're getting ready to wrap here, I want to remind everybody, uh, the executive director of Case Pack, Brian Leib's coming in, into the segment. It's been a continued downward spiral for Florida governor and current presidential candidate Ron DeSantis lately. Donald Trump's second quarter earnings numbers came out late yesterday, which showed that grassrootsedly, he raised over $38 million, doubling his first quarter earnings. He also is on the heels of his huge rally which hosted anywhere from 55 to 75,000 people down in Pickens, South Carolina last weekend. He's just taking the stage in Iowa at this point of our show today. I'm, I'm watching the video live. He's throwing green Trump hats out to the audience as a backdrop of Farmers for Trump lines the stage. And we'll be peeking in to hear from the 45th president in our next segment. He'll be in Vegas tomorrow, so busy weekend. But let's stay with DeSantis here. He was challenged about his lack of traction, popularity, and things as such. And, and the $38 million that Donald Trump raised over the course of this quarter was brought up as a, as a concern of the DeSantis campaign on Fox News last night. Let's hear it. ...record of defeating the left on issue after issue, and we'll be making that case over the next six or seven months. Uh, I'm yeah. running to win in, in January and February. I'm not running to juice polling now. I do believe there is some truth in the saying that you shall be defined by your enemies. So I appreciate you bringing up those who are attacking you in your run for president. What about those, though, as well that support you? Steve Cortez is one of the major leaders of a super PAC that supports Ron DeSantis, and he acknowledges that the numbers right now are not where they need to be. And Governor, I want to be clear with you. You and I have met on one occasion, and I think you have done a wonderful job. What I'm trying to suss out tonight is when that job, if ever, begins to resonate in the numbers for you for president. You know, and as I mentioned, we've met, 
and I, and I liked you a lot, but there are those that say, there's something about you that's not connecting for Oof. whatever reason, not connecting with the voter, whether or not it be personality. Donald Trump says it's about loyalty. Francis Suarez says it's about your relationships. And it's not about those individuals so I'm much. It's, I'm curious News the, the, the analysis of Ron DeSantis of why not Kane has always been a rebel. connecting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, did you just see the news today about uh, the record fundraising haul we've had? Nobody's been able to match that in the history of modern presidential politics. So we've got a huge amount of support uh, to be able to take the case to the Sounds people. Like we really haven't started that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in the process of building out a great organization. And I think we're going to be on the ground in all these early states. Uh, it is a three yards in a cloud of dust type situation. That's what we're going to be doing. Right. But look, at the end of the day, nobody has stood up. Uh, for hardworking Americans more than I have over these last five years and delivered the level of results that I have. That's going to be a great story to tell because if we did it in Florida, we absolutely can do it as president. That'll mean the border, the invasion stops. Mm -hmm. It'll mean the economy is restored. And it's going to mean that woke ideology ends up in the dustbin of history. One more on this path to the presidency. We're not talking about... Scissor me timbers! It's funny to me how Ron DeSantis was a congressman for literally two and a half terms, and he still doesn't know, especially after being in Congress when Donald Trump was the president, how Congress works. When you're the governor and you've got an entirely packed Republican state Senate and House, it's a lot easier to get your your mandate and your legislation through than it is when you're in Congress and the House and the Senate are nearly split 50-50 all the time and have been forever. And unless you're catering to the globalists or the lobby groups, the climate mafia, or, or, you know, the woke mob, you ain't getting shit passed. Donald Trump learned the hard way, and he just had to kind of ram stuff through sometimes, even by, you know, using things like government shutdowns against Schumer and Pelosi when it came to the wall. So I think that he's, you know, learned it's not as easy as it looks. And, like I said, he needs to stop eating in public and probably should lay off the Ozempic because he's got that lump in the back of his throat that he just can't shake right now. And, you know, who usually shakes it is my top pick, just based off the numbers, not favorability for for President Trump right now. Christy Noem, a lot of commercials out lately. She's doing a lot of press. She sat down with the biggest dancer of Ron DeSantis propaganda. His dancers? Brian Kilme on Fox News, oh. who always gets so sad when Ron DeSantis... The Ron DeSantis dancers. He certainly is. Um, the Sansers. She kind of wanted to... It's like hit, the solid gold dancers. True story. <laughs> she went and stood up for President Trump because he was asking about Ron DeSantis's millions and billions of dollars from you know, the international lobbyist groups. And, and Donald Trump is doing it organically like he always does with actual American citizens at his rallies, et cetera. Let's hear it. Let's talk about the the Republican field. I know you have not ruled out running, but looking at the field, you have quality candidates. Even I see Democrats uh, admitting that. But yet the president's lead is strong. Do you think it's because of his team and his message, or do you think the field is underachieving? 
Donald Trump's not well, under I don't think it's necessarily because of his team. I think it's because of him. I think he's a fighter. And every day, Americans get up and they're shocked by what they see happening in the United States of America. And they recognize that when President Trump was in office, uh, that they were safer, that mm -hmm. their national security concerns were not at the level that they are today, that yep. they had more money in their pocket. Mm -hmm. Food didn't cost so much. Gas didn't cost so much. And they're thinking, wow, I'd do anything to get that back again. And Sounds this like president she's doesn't give for up. A job. I think that's what's incredible about President Trump is he is a fighter. So we've got great people running. I'm not going to say that some of these candidates don't have a lot of opportunities here. But with President Trump in that race and us needing someone who will really go to the mat for the American people, I don't see how they get the traction to come out on top. Mm. 35 million he's put up uh, in the last quarter raising. Mm -hmm. It's an extremely high number. Uh, do you think uh, the word is DeSantis will get close to that? Do you think if there's anyone to emerge out of the field, it would be him? You know, I've run probably 11 campaigns now, Brian, and what mattered to me was the small donors, the people who cared enough to send you $5, $10. President Trump has millions of small donors yep. that invest in him. They maybe aren't rich people, they aren't big donors, but they go out there and they use their hard-earned money to get a mm. leader elected. I don't think any of the other candidates have that kind of commitment from the people that invest in them. They have big donors that write them big checks. I think that is powerful. But those small donors that President Trump has um, really sends another message as well. All right, what do you guys think here in her? I like her. I think she is auditioning. Um, you could see her, maybe Carrie Lake, uh, standing next to Donald Trump. Those, like you said, have two really good um, voiceovers for, for campaigns. Carrie Lake is extremely uh, good on, on TV and radio. Christy Noem is as well. Uh, you see Christy Noem doing a lot of work in South Dakota with advertising the state and trying to bring more and more people into the state. Yep. She's governed pretty well, uh, so it's going to be interesting. No, what do you think? I mean, we all know that Donald Trump has a type. Supermodel, I think, is his type. It's somewhere between Melania and Alina Habba when you talk about Christy Noem as far as looks go. Yeah. I don't know. I think she, she gets the job done. It sounds like she's ready for not only the debate stage, but she's youthful enough to get out on the campaign trail and keep up with him. Uh, you, you want to talk about someone who's a little bit older, maybe Marsha Blackburn, who Donald Trump really liked in 2016. It's funny that you're mentioning that a young person has to keep up with Donald Trump. The man <laughs> sleeps four hours a day, eats nothing but fast food, still golfs 18, and will jet set to two or three different states in one day and bang out a couple rallies and get arrested. <laughs> Call it a day. And then what happens? We hear it from every single person that comes on. He'll go home to Mar-a-Lago. He'll go home to Bedminster. He'll walk into whatever party's still running and he'll take over the DJ booth. You just can't make this shit up. The guy's almost 80 years old, and he's sitting there dropping beats from everybody from Elvis to Elton John to the wee hours of the morning and then doesn't miss his tea time at 8 a.m. Do you think he carries that box of documents Chris Christie talked about when he goes to the DJ booth? He has somebody to carry it for him. Chris Christie has a box of chocolate <laughs> White Castle cheeseburgers. Oh, the microwavable ones? All right, we're getting ready to jump in with Brian live here, but first... Jim, you're taking off. It's been a pleasure hosting you today. Listen, you've had a couple articles posted on foxnews.com just in the last week. You're always dropping stuff at the Daily Caller at American Greatness. You also show up on uh, OAN every week. I want you to tell our listenership anywhere that they could follow you, anywhere that they can watch you, and we're going to live link in the show description today. Yeah, thank you very much. So you can follow me on Twitter at Jim6555, and I will be on Tipping Point with Kara McKinney tonight, Friday, 9 p.m. Central, where I'll be talking about why everything is stupid. And we just might be talking about Hunter Biden, transgender people who are now trying to be lesbians. How dare you? As well as how the Obamas are really, really oppressed. Mm. They're so oppressed on their yacht. It's not their yacht. They can't afford a yacht yet. They had to use Tom Hanks's yacht. 
It was Tom Hanks' yacht for it was real. Tom Hanks' yacht. <laughs> Not Woody Wilson. I just watched uh, Otto the other day with my kids, and uh, they cried a lot. Yeah. They said that's going to be me, minus all the suicide attempts when I grow up, because he was the grouchiest. That was a really great portrayal of a grouchy old man. And uh, they already call me grouchy, and I'm not even that old yet. So. I had somebody say that I was going to be, uh, oh, what movie was it with uh, Clint Eastwood? He was like the old, crusty uh, war veteran. Yeah. Um, Grand, takes place in Detroit. No, Gran Torino. Gran Torino, yes. It's like, that's going to be you, except not racist. They said they're just going to make me dead. Listen, Jim, it's been awesome having you in studio today. We're obviously going to see you in a couple weeks again on the show. We wish you safe travels. We're going to live link all your stuff in the show description today. Let's take it over to uh, Brian Lai. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the executive director at Case Pack USA. He's a Newsmax insider, one of our great friends. Always happy to sit down with Mr. Brian Live. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Of course, guys. Happy Friday. Thanks for having me on. Happy Friday to you, too. So I just kind of want to jump right into it now. Some of your best friends up on Capitol Hill have been doing their, uh, they're up to their usual antics. It's the squad members, Rashida Tlaib, and uh, friends have been displaying some, how would you say this? <laughs> Well, just their usual anti-Semitic rhetoric. Brian, yeah. Brian you want to give us a little uh, insider info on what the latest is with those degenerates? Well, it, listen, it's it's venom that these individuals have for the world's only Jewish state, Israel, and anyone that supports Israel, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish. And, you know, right on cue, you have Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and Corey Bush and Jamal Bowman and all these people um, that, you know, God forbid Israel starts defending themselves against terrorists, um, they start, you know, they go into to hyperdrive and trying to, to, to paint this narrative uh, that Israel is murdering people. In fact, Rashida put out a tweet saying Israel just murdered eight Palestinians. That's a bold-faced lie. Israel did not murder anyone. Israel killed, eliminated eight terrorists. That number, thank God, has grown since then. It's now, I think, around 12 that they've killed. But, like, that's what's happening, right? So you have the, the truth, and then you have the narrative from these Looney Tunes on the left, um, and we've got to call it out, right? So, so I mean, I'm, you know, busy calling it out and getting other people to as well. And a friend of the show and a friend of mine, Max Miller, uh, also put out an amazing tweet uh, just the other day when Ilhan Omar started spewing off about us uh, about this. He reminded her about his motion to get her kicked off the House Foreign Affairs Committee. So you got to fight fire with fire. Max seems to get that, and we're doing our we're doing our piece. So we pick our battles and we choose them well. We're huge fans of Max Miller. He's a great friend of mine and a great friend of the programs here as well. Now, listen, we just saw something historic: the the forty third congressman. Uh, just over two weeks ago was censured for the first time in a long time. Uh, Adam Schiff for the stuff that happened during Russiagate. Now, when, when these issues with the amount of anti-Semitism that's being spewed out of the squad members and friends is becoming normalcy in places up on Capitol Hill, where is 
Congress's role to move towards censuring them for some of that. I mean, stuff that Adam Schiff was censured for, a lot of it is opinion-based, even though it did legitimately hurt things in reality. But the fact of the matter is, why aren't we moving to censure and, and remove from committees, like was originally proposed with Elon Omar, uh, to, to censure these people for things that, I mean, that would be a huge documented case of, of something that, you know, really affects not only geopolitics, but, you know, the, the stance of the Jewish community here in the United States as well. Well, they should be. I mean, they, they, they should most certainly be censored. And, and you know, the, the power that the speaker and, and Republican leadership uh, majority have right now is, A, you can censor someone. B, you can take someone, strip them of their committee assignments. Unfortunately, there's not much more that you can do from uh, from that perspective. But Speaker McCarthy and, and, and the leadership in the House certainly should move for censor. Um, you know, the, there has to be some kind of tangible impact or result that uh that house republican leadership can do uh to show the american people that we do not stand with this type of rhetoric and by the way this type of rhetoric i mean people say oh well it's just one member of congress right well no no it's not just one member of congress anymore it's multiple members of congress and then it's all of the people throughout the country that follow these people that are part of the Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar cults of the world that think everything that they say is the truth. And then they start spewing their lies and spreading their lies. So it's a domino effect that happens. Um, and I really think it is time for Speaker McCarthy uh, to do something, take a page out of Max Miller's playbook. I mean, Max led the charge and had that resolution put on the floor and voted on to strip Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee for her horrible comments about the state of Israel. Do the She's, same with Rashida Tlaib. Do it. They've, they've been, you know, inciting violence against the Supreme Court lately and, and saying derogatory things about... Uh, they hate this country. It's not just Israel, guys. They hate this country. The things that they say about the United States of America on the 4th of July with, with them sending out tweets about we're on stolen land. It's time to give the land back. How about being proud... Uh, of what America has become over the last 250 years, roughly, instead of trying to pour gasoline on this country and burn it down. That's what these people are trying to do. Yeah, there sure is a lot of people that want to give back stolen land, but they're not really starting with their own. Those assholes at Ben and Jerry. No, I, I did check. Ben and Jerry's have yet to give up their corporate headquarters or their factory in Vermont to the indigenous people of Vermont. So yeah, I mean, we, we've got that waiting on. But, you know, I think that this is going to is really the the precursor to us becoming France. The more and more that we allow people to immigrate to this country and then take positions of power who hate this country mm -hmm. and give speeches about how much they hate this country. We saw the commencement speech that the woman gave at City College of New York's law school. That was insane. And the fact that these people are normalized is leading us down that path where we will be France in 10 years. Well, who do you think that that student looks up to? Do you think that her goals are people like Ron, or her, her role models are people like like Ronald Reagan, or do you think it's people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib? I mean, it's obviously you know she looks up to these people, and and this is the type of venom and hatred that that these individuals are inspiring to happen on college campuses, on the streets of America, all throughout this country. And then, of course, when these idiots get up there and say these horrible things and spread lies. You better believe that Rashida and Ilhan are taking to social media and backing them up and saying, well done, good job, truth to power. No, it's bullshit. There's no truth to power. It's lies. They're spreading lies is what they're doing. That's it right there. And uh, the longer they're allowed to do that, especially in, in positions of such high power as, as, you know, congressional seats, then 
it's going to continue to be an issue and something that we need to discuss in an open forum like we do have here on the show. All right, Brian, I want to switch gears a little bit. We just got done playing presidential primary roundup. We heard a couple bangers, everyone from Chris Christie and Kamala Harris to RFK and Vivek Ramaswamy, but we also played a couple clips uh, about what's going on with the Ron DeSantis campaign or lack thereof. So he was put on the spot recently on Fox News, and, and they asked him about what's going on with the campaign, and his answer didn't really meet the bar for what's adequate to confidently be running for president of the United States. What did you think when you heard it? You know, I was, I was watching the questions being asked and, and the facial expressions on, on Ron's face. It really told us everything we need to know about Ron. I mean, listen, the, the, it's, no, it's no secret anymore. Ron is not relatable to people. He is not a people person. Um, he's had members uh, of Congress that have turned their, their, their backs on him because he's turned his back on to, to them as well. So, I mean, I, I think the interview was very telling. And, and a friend of the show, Raheem Kassam, put out a, a beautiful tweet, actually, about this saying, you know, people are saying, oh, well, Ron didn't really answer the question about why he's not relatable. Well, actually, he did, because Ron's response to the question was, well, don't you see the money that we're raising? Don't you see all the hundreds of millions of dollars of money that we're raising? That was Ron's response. Ron is saying, I don't care about the grassroots. I don't care about the actual voters. I care about the billionaire donors that are backing me and that are supporting me. That's where he's raising the money from. He's not raising money from from grassroots Republicans. He's not raising money from from MAGA supporters. He's raising money from billionaires that have a that are on a mission to to, to back anyone but Donald Trump. Yep. Um, but listen, I, I you know you see what's happening. You said you know for Ron's campaign or lack thereof. I mean that's what it looks like. I mean the fact that you've got Fox coming at him last night you've got some some uh, some florida uh reporters down here that run uh, floridapolitics.com you know they have declared ron as done he's done so you know it sure looks like ron is done and, and, and listen poll numbers are uh indicative of support that someone has and the fact that trump continues to go up in the polls i think he's what up 49 percent in tennessee he's at 70 percent in kentucky i mean you know this is it's a donald trump show not the ron DeSantis show even the texas poll that came out last night showed donald trump had, had gone up like four or five more points just in the last month and you know uh you have the largest DeSantis Super PAC spokesman, Steve Cortez, former Trump surrogate, you know, basically admitting this week that the lead is becoming insurmountable. And at some point they're going to have to, you know, acknowledge the writing on the wall. And as Ron DeSantis kind of abandons the campaign trail right now to maybe rebrand or wash himself off because he's so damn sweaty all the time. <laughs> you've got Jill Casey DeSantis now, like almost Hillary Clinton-esque, taking to the campaign trail herself to do speaking events and, and try to whip some kind of, you know, saving grace for Ron DeSantis. What do you think when you see stuff like that? Well, I mean, it, it's it's clear they're, they're, they're really pulling out all the stops right now. And, and, and Casey, you know, I think does have an ability to relate to people a lot better than Ron does, that's for sure. Um, but I don't think it's actually going to translate into anything. I mean, you know, from from the failed launch of the campaign to so many, you know, unforced errors and missteps along the way and, and to the fact that they kept telling us, wait till Ron announces. Once Ron announces, he's going to surge in the polls. Well, that never happened. Yeah. And, 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 and whether Casey comes in or doesn't, uh, it's not going to matter. As I just said, this is the, the Donald Trump show. 
Republican primary voters are lining up behind Donald Trump. And as they should, he's the leader of our party. Um, and um, listen, Ron is just not relatable. It's it's really that simple. And that's why they're going to bring someone like Casey in, who at least is a little bit more personable and a little bit more relatable than he is. But they're, they're too far gone. I mean, there's there's no coming back from this. What's he polling at like 12, 14 percent right now? They're you don't come back from that. So you don't think her new organization, Mamas for DeSantis, is going to be what turns this whole campaign around for him? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah, not, not yeah, not a new organization. They rolled her out pretty hard here uh, down in Florida uh, during uh, the governor's reelect yep. uh, just last year. In fact, she was she was probably doing a lot more campaigning than than he was. And again, that speaks to the fact that people know that people can't relate to they can't relate to Ron. Ron is not a relatable kind of person he, he operates like a robot in a lot of respects and at least casey you know has some warmth to her I, i've met her many times at least she has some warmth to her she has some personality to her um but if they were smart you know maybe they would have let her launch the campaign instead of ron right <laughs> i don't know is, is, is ron DeSantis now the republican al gore when it comes to this Ooh, Ooh interesting well trademark jim nels by the way an inconvenient candidate. Can, can they just please? Well, I, I don't mind it, but they have to get that guy to stop eating in public, too. He Ooh. just doesn't know how to eat. I'm not even talking about pudding fingers. You see him, like, inhaling pizza stuff. The other, it's just so gross. You fold it well, down. you know what, guys? One thing is for sure, when you when you look at, you know, Ron's foray into presidential politics, he has benefited in a major, major way. I mean, we, we now know that he his net worth is over a million dollars, right? So, you know, as I've talked about before many times, people run for president not because they want to be president or think they can become or win to be president, but because they can sell books and they can increase their speaker fees and their brand recognition and all these things. Same reason Suarez is running. Suarez has no shot in hell in nope. becoming president, but, but he has aspirations. So this is why people run. And now we're seeing, oh, maybe one of the reasons Ron decided to run was because he went from a net worth of a quarter million dollars to now $1.5 million in less than three months. True story. And, and I know you're referring to that info that came out. Fox 30 in Florida actually broke it this week. Back in 2018, Ron DeSantis was worth, you know, mid $200,000. Last year, he was worth $318,000. This year, almost $1.2 million. So, weird. So weird how that happens. And, uh, you know, just something that uh, is going to be part of. Republican lore when we talk about the end of the career of Ron DeSantis. All right, real quick, Brian, last thing I want to touch with you on, you're from Philly, so you're obviously a Wawa appreciator, but you also ran as a GOP-endorsed congressional candidate there. And Unfortunately, the city of brotherly love is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. You want to let our listenership know how uh, much the city is devolving on a record pace right now? I, uh, I am very pro-Wawa, for, for the record, and I'll come back to Wawa in a second because it actually – plays into what we're dealing with here. But I mean, listen, Philadelphia is a war zone, um, like, like most major cities in America that are run by Democrats. But I mean, the homicide rates, the, 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 the record levels that are happening in Philadelphia right now are, are through the roof. And, you know, just a couple of days ago, you had a transgender black male go on a shooting spree and kill eight people, yep. you know? So this is just every single day, this is happening in the city of Philadelphia. You've got Democrats that have been running that city now since 1960 and, you know, when you have one party rule running the city, these kinds of things happen. And you know what else happens when you have all this kind of gun violence and poverty that are really stripping a city apart? You drive businesses out of the city. When I lived in Philadelphia, at one point there were 
I, I want to say at least 10 Wawa's in center city alone, almost every block. There was a Wawa guys. There is one Wawa left. Wawa has made a strategic decision to completely pull out of Philadelphia because they were sick and tired of getting ransacked and looted on a weekly basis. So, you know, this is the situation that's happening in all these big cities in America. And, and you hear Donald Trump talk about it and other people as well. When you have Democrats that are running cities for 50, 60, 70 years and nothing is getting better, these are the things that are going to keep happening. You know, and it's it's really unfortunate because Philly is a great place. Philadelphians, we have so much pride in our city and in the role that we played in, in kickstarting and launching this beautiful experiment that we call the United States of America. Yep. But unfortunately, the city's gone to shit. Pardon my language. I mean, we're facing the same thing in the People's Republic of Chicago, where mm. I live. And uh, You guys have I, one Wawa to rule them all? We don't have any Wawas right now, and I don't think we can get them in. But they are trying to block more and more of Chick-fil-A's from coming in, because that's the most important thing to do in nice. the city. But here's you. the thing in Chicago. Every week, there's a betting pool online on the over-under for the number of people shot in the city. We've become a punchline, and it's in, it's terrible, and it has two things. They got Vegas odds in there? We do. We do. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's, but it's come down to two things, and Philly's seeing the same thing as well. You see Democrat-run cities and George Soros-funded prosecutors. Yep. You put those two things together, gun violence goes up, prosecution goes down, and the city goes to hell. A lot more people die as well. All right, Brian, we're live linking uh, Case Pack in the show description today. But anybody that's not following you on social media before you uh, take off here, where can we follow you at? Hit me up on you know all the platforms at Brian Live FL, and uh, certainly take a look at us at Case Pack C A S E P A C dot org. We're on a mission to combat anti-Semitism at a federal level, and uh, certainly appreciate you guys and, and all the listeners here and, and fighting that good fight, and also fighting for the future of our country because we've got to fight like hell right now or else we're not going to have a country anymore. That's yep. it. Always fighting hard for America first and combating anti-Semitism. As the executive director of Case Pack, Mr. Brian Live, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. We love you, and we love you. We all love you. I tell you what. First of all, it was great having Jim Nels in studio today, don't you think, Noah? Yeah, it was fun. We don't always get guests in studio, but when we do, first of all, Noah's a fantastic host. And secondly, it just adds a little bit to the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed hearing from him. Got up at 4.45 to start cooking. There you go. And uh, check out Jim tonight on OAN. He'll be on Tipping Point with Kara McKinney. Brian Leib, also great to have on the show, one of our strongest warriors for America First, and now he's working directly uh, with Congress to combat anti-Semitism, something we can't talk about enough on the show. Not anti-Semitism, but combating it. And then, you know, we went through a whole presidential primary roundup segment. We read some Trump stats, but you don't hear that kind of an organic response, the actual love for Donald Trump as when he takes the stage for the first time in you know, his speaking events. We promised you a little bit of the Council Bluffs Iowa event today where he's hosting a non-typical Friday afternoon rally, but still to packed audience. And uh, we're going to bring you a little bit of that right now. I think you'd be hard-pressed to go anywhere and not have a full house. Like, even when, like, some of his uh, the rallies in, in recent time sure. have, res- like, rescheduled, like, by a week. What was it? The uh, Arizona one. The Arizona one. Mm-hmm. 
like there's a lot of people that wouldn't be able to bounce back and and still go. So like there's people that like, well, my trip's over. I'm not going to go now. We even thought about it when we saw how, you know, it was like three quarters of the way full right up until they give that one hour warning where everybody's kind of, you know, they start to close down concessions and they say, you know, if you're going to go to the bathroom, do it now because the president could come and take the stage at any moment. We're going to pull the rally over, make you walk home. And you know, it's <laughs> it's almost time for him to hit the stage, especially in Arizona when the Undertaker theme yes. plays, uh, as is one of Don Jr.'s having that, favorites. Having that in person was pretty, pretty epic. Yeah, yeah. So Donald Trump obviously is is catering to our nation's agriculture sector today in Iowa. Uh, you know he's the most pro-farmers president in the history of the United States, and no one combated China, especially when talking about agriculture as hard as Donald Trump did. He got into it as soon as he took the stage. So let's hear it. I'm proud to be the most pro-farmer president that you've ever had in the White House. We did more for American agriculture than any administration in history by far, and that's been pretty much acknowledged. It's been nobody disputing it. Under my leadership, our Department of Agriculture cut seven old regulations for every one new regulation, saving farmers and taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars a year. We cut, as you know, regulations at a level that nobody's ever seen before. Cut more regulations, generally speaking, beyond the farms, cut more than any president in history by about five times. He also got that $28 billion for America's farmer during the first Trump administration as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. When it comes to the farmers and, like, the foreign interests buying our farmland, you have the stuff with Saudi Arabia. Their dairy company, Almarai or whatever, however it's pronounced, they're literally draining people's wells in Arizona because they're just soaking up so much of the water for their alfalfa. And... Saudi Arabia banned their own farming of alfalfa in 2016 because they were trying to conserve their water. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they're a desert, but still, so is Arizona. Certainly is. Now, Noah, when you see Donald Trump and he's out there in Iowa and he gets such a warm reception and he's so well-loved and his poll numbers are reflecting that as well, especially you know in places like Iowa, we always talk about it here on the show. If Donald Trump can reharness being the jobs president, which he's doing a phenomenal job of right now, he hits on the economy. He talks about the tax breaks. He talks about what he did for certain, you know, sectors of our uh, of the supply chain, like farmers. Do you think it's it's something that he's really working on right now to to make sure that there are no questions asked when people go to the ballot box in in November of next year? Yeah, because anybody who has a fucking brain is going to see that. Republican candidates, whether Trump or anybody else, are vastly dwarfing any potential America first policy that anything anybody in the left is doing. Mm-hmm. And Trump, by far, is going to be the best of, of all the choices. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Unless you want to just have DeSantis, like, you know, stealing his book report. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. We're going to touch on that in a second. But before we do that, there's the matter at hand. Everybody thinks it's time to evict Joe Biden from the White House. So does Donald Trump. He brought it up today just now at the rally. Let's hear it. Have any clue what the hell they're doing and why they're doing it? We don't even have a clue, but it doesn't matter. That's what they want to do. And now we are approaching the most important battle of our lives. This January, we're going to win the Iowa caucuses in a historic victory. And on Election Day 2024, we're going to win the state of Iowa. And Nebraska. (laughs) 
You know, I'm doing a Nebraska event, too, so we'll get you. But it, it's, it's nice that so many of you are here. And we're going to evict a very crooked president, Joe Biden, from the White House. So, yeah, of course, he's going to be hitting on Joe Biden, Crooked Joe, and all the stuff that's been, you know, the scandals that have plagued him, both in regards to being 10% for the big guy all the way down to Blowgate, as we touched on at the top of our episode today. Good old Blowgate. And I've kind of skied through for the rest of our episode. Got him. So when you're talking about the campaign trail, the Iowa caucuses, and all the poll numbers that comes out, consequently, it's probably a good time to announce... At the end of this segment, we're going to be sitting down with Rasmussen polling. Top pollster, Mark Mitchell, who's got some great numbers coming in for us today. We're going to talk about a ton of different things, including the Republican primary and uh, why they're being canceled by ABC 538, which uh, is pretty alarming to us because when you look at the amount of work that Mark does at Rasmussen, uh, the amount of cross-tabs, and that are always available on the polls, in addition to the analysis and breakdown he does of what went into the pollings, and what he thinks, you know, provides commentary on via their YouTube channel, it's it's pretty much as far as we're concerned the gold standard, uh, uh, as far as getting inside the numbers go. But one of the things that nobody can deny, because everyone from Steve Cortez to Fox News is starting to realize that Ron DeSantis is not the candidate that they thought he was going to be. Rob DeSantis? Rob DeSantos. Hmm. And believe it or not, well, actually, we can believe it because we live in reality, not the parallel version of the multiverse that the rest of the GOP field is currently playing in. Shitty multiverse. <laughs> They're not huge fans of, of, of Ron DeSantis. Let's hear it. And I can tell you that no president has ever fought harder for our farmers than I did. By contrast, Ron DeSanctimonious. Have you ever heard of him? <laughs> he was losing badly. I endorsed him and he ended up winning. He was losing. He was so low. He was lower than anybody. I said, Ron, let me tell you, if George Washington came back from the dead and he had the support of Abraham Lincoln, you can't get elected. (laughs) Wow. That's a good one. Wow. That's a new one. So, you know, a little bit of of lightheartedness there from the 45th president. But listen, he's going in in conjunction with what all the numbers are telling us right now. And, And Donald Trump's second quarter earnings, as far as fundraising goes, Around $38 million is just astronomical from the $18 million he made in, in quarter one of this year. So I want to I switch gears a little bit, but stay in the same thread. I did see yesterday it came out. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I pulled a clip that's, you know, related to this. Former Fox News host Tucker Carlson sat down with Russell Brand on the Rusty Rockets podcast. And they talked about... Rusty Rockets? Yeah, that's what the name of his podcast is. Huh. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's so weird. It's like, like a rusty trombone. Some people, you know, say that it's hard to identify us as a political podcast, but Russell Brand could go out, you know, former comedian and, like, dick and fart joke enthusiast and call his podcast Rusty Rockets and nobody blinks an eye. <laughs> I think Steak for Breakfast is perfectly fine to be America's number one. It's like a fastest-growing political podcast well, I just thought his podcast was a shittier version of SpaceX. There you go. Hmm. Huh. Quick reminder also, wherever you're listening today, whatever downloadable podcasting platform you're hearing this show, make sure you subscribe, rate the show, leave a review, and then across social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast, follow the accounts, and hit the notification bell. All right, so for our last audio clip of the week, 
aired, he teased it. Tucker Carlson sat down with Russell Brand, and they were talking about the Trump legacy and what it means in the context of history. I think it's a great way to segue out of this episode, which has been what I consider an absolute heater. So let's hear it. You know, I think looking back on this 10 years from now, assuming we're still around, uh, yeah, I think we're going to see Trump's emergence as as the most significant thing to happen in American politics in 100 years mm. because he reoriented the Republican Party um, against the wishes of Republican leaders. Yep. Uh, but when I think about Trump right now, so it's July of 2023, you know, I'm struck by his foreign policy views. You know, Trump is the only person um, with stature in the Republican Party really who's saying, wait a second, you know, why are we supporting an endless war in Ukraine? And that, you know, leaving aside whether Trump's going to get the nomination or get elected president or would be a good president, you know, I can't even assess that. All I can say at this point is I'm so grateful that he has that position. He's right. And everyone in Washington's wrong. Everyone. Mm. And Trump is right on that question. And it's a big question. That war is reshaping the world. It's reshaping the economy of the world. It's reshaping populations. The ref- I mean, I was just in Romania last week, mm-hmm. you know, which is, of course, shares a border with Ukraine. It, the, the refugees in that region, the number of people killed in that war. I mean, Europe will never be the same because of this war. And it really matters. And Trump alone among popular figures in both parties understands that. And I'm grateful for it. Whether he gets the nomination or gets elected, you know, words really matter. Saying something true out loud matters. And he is saying true things about Ukraine and God bless him. That's how Mm -hmm. I feel. Yeah. It's a pretty big and bold statement there from Tucker Carlson, but he's 100% correct. Um, Donald Trump has been saying from day one, and this goes back off to, you know, all the things that he led from the front with during the course of his first term in regarding Ukraine. Uh, he wasn't going to be held hostage to the military-industrial complex, to the European Union, and to NATO's ambitions to minimize and marginalize Russia on the global stage. And again, I just want to reiterate for everyone that's listening today, we are not enthusiasts of anything that Vladimir Putin does. No. The fact of the matter is, though, when you talk about just the context of, of what Tucker Carlson's talking about there and Donald Trump's policy stance on it, that it will be the correct take that goes down in the annals of history. Yeah, and it's such fucking bullshit that you... It's it's the same with everything on the left right now. Sure. Anything that they are purporting to be the fucking must-all-be-all end-all of what needs to happen in the world, if you disagree with any minute portion of it you're either racist a fucking russian sympathizer or, or what have you it's just such nonsense and i and i feel like people have to be seeing it they got to be catching on i think they are everybody wants to tell us we're winning nobody wants to tell us any bad things are happening it's like today i saw the pentagon spokesman was asked by a pool reporter uh, you know there's there's some breaking reports coming out that back channels of the biggest players in the Russia and Ukraine conflict are talking about finally getting to the negotiating table uh, at some point in August. And you want to know what the the spokesman for the Pentagon says? Well, the U.S. government doesn't endorse any uh, peace talks between Russia and Ukraine at this point. (laughs) Why? Because that would make uh, Raytheon lose money. 
Sure would. You know, I, I, I don't know if Mark's going to have anything on, on the favorability with this conflict and how much the American taxpayer is on the schneid for, but we're going to get on it with Mark Mitchell of Rasmussen Polling right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you're in a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us here on the show today, this big Friday edition of Stay for Breakfast. He's the head pollster over at Rasmussen Polling. Always a pleasure to sit down with Mr. Mark Mitchell. Mark, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Well, we just played a little presidential primary roundup on the show today. We, we heard from a lot of the candidates, some of the ones that you've been hitting up recently, Vivek, Chris Christie, RFK Jr. Why don't you tell us what the latest polling coming out of you guys is showing with these candidates and uh, either their up or down trends? I think the last time we talked was the last time we did a multi-candidate matchup and we had Trump at 62% and uh, DeSantis at 17%. Uh, Mike Pence and Nikki Haley, I think were in mid single digits and everybody else had two or 3%. Uh, I think that's pretty much in line with what I'm seeing out of other pollsters. So I think we were sort of one of the first ones to really catch DeSantis on the downswing there. Um, but since then, what we've mostly been doing is asking two question sets about each of the individual um, candidates. Uh, what is their favorability rating and how likely is it that they'll be the GOP nominee? And so that gives you a little bit more insight about which demographics support which candidates and how they how they do in, in more than just a matchup. And uh, I, I mean, DeSantis does better than everyone else, but it can't be said that he's doing great. His GOP favorability numbers is at 70%. They dropped almost 10 points Mm -hmm. since he declared his candidacy. And among Republicans, 54% say it's at least somewhat likely he'll be the nominee, but only 10% say very likely. Everybody else, compared to that 54 number, everybody else is in mid-20s or lower. (laughs) And I mean, Chris Christie, (laughs) this is the most recent one we did the numbers on, and he's just a joke. (laughs) The revolting blob. Jeez. I mean, um, well, it's like I understand if your if your strategy is to say, well, I'm not liked very much, but let me get out there and figure out how to get Republican voters to support me. But his first two acts were to trash Trump and basically support transgender surgery for minors. And both of those are 80 percent positions in Republican voters, 80 percent. So, you know, that's how we get numbers with Chris Christie having a 24% favorability rating with GOP, which is almost down to McConnell numbers. And what is this? 60% of GOP voters have at least someone unfavorable opinion of Chris Christie. Uh, so he's at the bottom of the stack right now, as far as our numbers show. You do need somebody as wide as him to kind of hold up the rest of the field. Hey, the great white whale of New Jersey is going to make a comeback. I can tell you that right now, people. <laughs> the only thing that's coming back is the campaign finances that he's going to skim off of as part of his retirement package before he goes and beats a commentator full-time. Yeah. Well, we got Vivek Ramaswamy numbers coming out, and it's been a long time since we've tested uh, Trump favorability, so those will all be coming out next week. And I think we'll see he, he, Vivek's probably doing pretty well 
uh, compared to the last time we did the matchup, and he was at two or three percent. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll see him come out into Pence and Haley territory, which I think is probably pretty big news, at least for him. I, I think so as well. I do want to ask you about that without getting into, you know, teasing too much of what you guys got coming down the pike next week. What do you think? It goes into the recipe to his rise in popularity right now. Obviously, he's not going to overtake President Trump in this uh, Republican primary cycle, but to see him come out of pretty much obscurity and now to be right on the heels of, let's just say, Ron DeSantis, according to a lot of national polls, uh, what do you think contributes to that? When we ask uh, voters what are their most important issues, when we ask, you know, there's, there's a few issues right now that are just really high off the charts, important in Republicans' minds. And that's government corruption, Joe Biden scandals, election integrity. And you're just not going to get attention from Re Republican voters if you aren't addressing those topics. And he appears to be the only one who really is across the board. And that's that's going to work over the long haul. And it's a long time until he's on a debate stage, but a little bit by bit, um, you know, people are going to pay attention to that. It is going to be interesting to see what happens after that first debate in August. Uh, and he gets his really his first national exposure to a bigger audience. Uh, I think he's the only one in this race not named Trump who's an interesting character. The rest of them are just like we talked about before, making money for their, their consultants and making money for themselves, selling books and doing all those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think a lot depends on how those debates are set up, you know, whether Trump's there, whether not, whether certain uh, topics are verboten and whether he's going to slip them in or not. I mean, I, I think if you asked that slate of candidates questions about election integrity, there would be a whole lot of tap dancing going on. Yeah, that's uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to see. Uh, you know, I listened to a couple of Twitter spaces with him recently. I've been tracking him kind of in the news. I like his message, but I think the one question that his campaign tries to stay away from, if you're so aligned with a lot of the policies that, you know, Donald Trump promoted or was able to achieve throughout the course of his presidency or right now running to the right of them, then why in this time, in this race, with Donald Trump ahead of the field so much are you getting in? And, you know, they always give kind of like the safe, appropriate answer, but... I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to have to say, because I feel like I can do it better, at which point, you know, it's kind of over for him. I do see him probably serving in the next administration if Donald Trump wins next year. But the fact of the matter is, is I don't see him climbing high enough to uh, challenge him in the GOP primary. Mark, did it surprise you last weekend or, or did it... Uh do you think it'll go to any of the pollings? Because we've talked about this before several times on the show. The sizes of rallies do not... Na necessarily equal votes especially on a national level but to see donald trump to roll into picking south carolina and have anywhere between 50 and seventy-five thousand people show up in triple digit heats in the middle of the day fourth of july weekend to hear him talk for an hour uh that that everything he's doing in his campaign right now is trending in the right direction and as far as you know the gop primary field goes donald trump is alive and well I think so. He got more votes than any Republican candidate in history. And without the rallies, without the excitement, Republican voters will still turn out to vote. But it's like, you know, Romney and McCain pulls in the low 60s and Trump pulls in the mid to high 70s. So I think that's the value of what enthusiasm gives you. Um, some people will turn out to vote uh, because they see those things or they think the election is super important. And uh you can't quantify it, but it's there. It's it's enthusiasm, and I don't see it anywhere else. 
It's, it's definitely not the Ron DeSantis events. All right, let's talk about the other side of the aisle. Joe Biden's got some, some issues going on right now, both with election fraud and corruption. Do you want to touch on those a little bit? Um, yeah, we did some. Uh, we've been struggling to keep up with the news. I We haven't even gotten the cocaine question <laughs> in the field yet. We talked um, about Blowgate today. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, this week's big news was us catching up with the plea deal. And, of course, everybody thinks, uh, what was the number here? 67, two-thirds of voters say that Hunter Biden received favorable treatment. And I think that's a, a pretty big deal. Uh, and then 58% agreed with Kevin McCarthy about there being a two-tiered system of justice in America, <laughs> that if you're the president's leading political opponent, the DOJ will try and put you in jail. But if you're the president's son, you get a sweetheart deal. Yep. And, uh, you know, 55% of voters disapproved of the plea deal, 41% strongly. And that's, that's a big number too, because sure. in general, people don't like to disapprove. And uh, only... 31% of Democrats strongly approved of Hunter Biden's plea deal. So, uh, you know, Biden's Democrat approval rating is pretty high right now. I think some of that's sort of circling the wagons because every time there's an unfavorable Supreme Court decision for them, two things happen, right? The right direction, wrong track number goes down because Democrats all of a sudden think the country's moving in the wrong direction and Biden's approval rate goes up. Although it's nothing like what we saw after Roe v. Wade, um, but then also election integrity. You mentioned we. <laughs> I did a video. I've done only part one. Uh, we asked, I think, more election integrity questions than any other pollster combined. Actually, I don't think anybody's asking any of the questions. But I did a part one that covers 2020 to 2021 okay. on YouTube. All of the dozens of questions we've asked. And we're almost at this point running out of election integrity questions. So what we tested last week was whether or not voters agreed with the premise of the song, 81 million votes my ass. And uh, <laughs> of course, of course they did. They agreed. So I, that's probably the absolute strongest, toughest statement that you could make about election integrity in 2020. And the question was, do you agree or disagree with this statement, there's no way that Joe Biden got 81 million votes in the 2020 election. No way. 49% uh, of voters at least somewhat agree, 33% strongly agree, only 35% strongly disagree. So, I mean, literally half of America. Well, those are the ones that are still wearing their mask in their car. <laughs> yeah, well, right. But, you know, 31% of Democrats agree with that. 19% strongly, only 57% strongly, strongly disagree. Mm. Um, and then, but, you know, to me, I, that one was fun. But then the big one is people, well, this gets back to the Republican race, right? You have all these candidates. They're probably trying to differentiate themselves. I got a really great idea how you could differentiate yourself from the pack. Talk about cheating because they all want to say, well, it's just 2020. It's, you know, let's put it behind us. Let's look forward. How concerned are you that the outcome of the 2024 presidential election will be affected by cheating? 66% of voters Oof. are at least somewhat concerned. 40% are very concerned. And only 15% are not at all concerned. Mm. So uh, I, you, there, I, there's no way to look at that number and not say that the electorate has completely lost faith in all national elections. Wow. Even 55% of Democrats are concerned there's going to be cheating in 2024. 
that's incredible. Wow, that's wild. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, everything from physical cheating, like ballot harvesting and stuff in the boxes, all the way down to, you know, as the Trump campaign has kind of segued to as part of their messaging, they, they're getting away from rigged and stolen, and they're talking about election interference now. You know, the federal agencies messing with big tech and social media, all the way down to things like the special counsel selectively leaking stuff to the media, reporting it incorrectly, you know, ahead of the actual rulings that we'll see. So when you talk about all of those components, plus the millions and millions of cross tabs you guys always have in your you know polling data it, it makes for for a large concern and i'm glad to see that you know a good portion of the american public is is on board with it's probably going to be affected in some way shape or form mark last thing i want to touch with you on i think this is probably huge because i think out of all the pollsters we we talk to and and people that we follow online you guys do the best most in depth and you always ask like follow up and like you have the videos to to kind of reaffirm everybody where you're coming from and, and why that narrative is is the actual one and and when it comes down to it, you guys are right more often than not to say the least why is abc and 538 trying to cancel you guys uh i'll have to go to the website and make sure that that letter is on the front page so everybody that's listening can go see that but why it's because the left likes to co-opt positions of authority and leverage them in order for political gain and that's what looks like is happening here so nate silver founded 538 he ran that for a while he's we, you know, we've had a love-hate relationship with him, but we've always been among his top pollsters. And the second that leadership changed hands at that company, we start getting nasty gram emails to answer questions that I would, I think, be happy to discuss here if you really wanted to get into the weeds. But I, I just didn't feel like it was the right thing for them to ask those questions of us. So we ignored them. And then we got this really hostile email that everybody could go read at our website uh, from their director of data at ABC News. And if this guy, if you look at his Twitter feed, he's a, a leftist activist. And it was his main issue is because we go on uh, alternative media sources and they didn't like that. And that doesn't have anything to do with how I run my polls. That doesn't have anything to do with the, the, the methodology or disagreements about specific points about polling. And so to me, that's just really transparent. And I, you know, we were talking to Steve Bannon about it. And I guess his his view is he he actually knows some people in ABC News and maybe this guy got out a little bit ahead of his skis. But they threatened to take us down essentially because we go on war room. That's what it it really comes down to. And if you look at a, a given night on on the news, you don't hear them really talk as much about pollsters or public opinion. They're in the business of shaping public opinion, and that's, I mean, <laughs> that's thats horrible. And they don't want to address the facts that we've, uh, vaccine death, right? We showed with our polling that the, the people think the vaccines were just as deadly as the COVID virus. Yep. If they ignore us or they attack us about our methodology, you know what none of them did was just go out and run the poll themselves. <laughs> so super easy. I gave you the exact wording of the question. If you don't like it, go replicate it. And what they would rather do is use their positions of authority to cancel us. Seems like the easy way out. Just yeah, they don't want to get the same results, and it looks <laughs> exactly. really bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of them are seeing the writing on the wall, especially in the GOP primary. Well, Mark, I can guarantee you one thing. You've always got a place where you can come talk about all the great work that you guys do here on the show, and we will continue to promote it in the fashion that we do. Uh, we're going to live link the website and the YouTube channel in the show description today. But for anybody that's not following Rasmussen on social media, where can we check you out? Uh, we're on Gab Getter True Social, but 
Twitter's where it's at. And I like Twitter because you can take our polls and throw it at, at any of your favorite elected representatives. They're ignoring these important topics. So it's Rasmussen underscore poll at Twitter and the same thing at YouTube. This is the place to be and this is the head pollster for Rasmussen Polling. Mark Mitchell, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. I don't care what anybody says. We nailed it today. What do you think, Noah? Nailed it. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now almost 255 other editions of the podcast, make sure you're subscribed across every downloadable podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google. In addition to that, check us out on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts, follow it, and hit the notification bell. I want to thank all of our guests for coming down today. First off, Jim Nels for sitting in studio and co-hosting with us. Former Assistant U.S. Attorney General Jeff Clark. Lead pollster at Rasmussen Polling, Mark Mitchell. And the Executive Director of Case Pack, Brian Live. They definitely helped make steak great again, as did your food today, Noah. Nice. Guys, don't worry. We'll be back on Tuesday. We've got an absolute heater, Italian-heavy edition of the show. We're definitely going to have to find a Sopranos after credit for that. Mm-hmm. Ken Cuniselli will be here. Paul Ingrassia will be here. Troy Nels will be here. Corey Mills will be here. And Christina Bob's going to do a little guest hosting. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Guys, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. And take care. Okay, Tyrone, do you know why you're here? Mm-hmm. I'm here for the same reason you is, man. I want some crack. <laughs> crack. Hey, Tyrone, we are not giving crack away today. Uh-huh. What, no, no. what time is it? It's 5 o'clock. Did I miss a 5 o'clock free crack giveaway? No, Tyrone, Tyrone, these are your friends here. They have something they'd like to say to you. I've been tricked. Okay, okay, Tyrone, I'm what is known as an intervention counselor. Oh! Yeah, and these people would like to talk to you about your drug use. Huh? Come on, Benedict Arnold. Okay. What y'all tell him? Okay, Rhonda. Rhonda, would you like to go first? Go this is ridiculous. What is going on in here? If we get crack at the end?